and verse 6. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they should also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve in rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made for, the, for them, in which they made them serve, was with rigor. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the other, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that He provided households for them. Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. And a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife, a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw, saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide, them, hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called his name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would bless the reading of your word to our lives. We pray that you would give us ears to hear your word and hearts to do it. 
We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, who is the living and eternal Word. Amen. If you notice the sermon title in your bulletin, Divine Deliverance, you hopefully notice that there's a multifaceted pun in this alliterative title. Divine Deliverance. Thinking of the deliverance of a child by midwives, thinking of the biological mother here in this story delivering her son, thinking also of this adopted, uh, adoptive mother, Pharaoh's daughter, who delivered little Moses from the water and from doom, and thinking also of the fact that it is through Moses that God will deliver His people from Egyptian bondage. If we were in a, um, a government class, or if we were perhaps in an ethics lecture, then perhaps we could look at this as a, an early biblical case study for civil disobedience. But this morning what I want to do is I want to look at this act of clear civil disobedience, and I want to analyze what all is at play here, and analyze the, the actions and the motives of the folks being spoken of here, and then I want to relate some of those to what we understand about motherhood in even broader what we understand about life itself in general. In these women, the women we read of here in Exodus chapters 1 and 2, we find that the entire history of salvation stands on their shoulders, the shoulders of these courageous and virtuous women. In their lives, we find virtue on display. Think of the drastic and courageous measures that are taken by these ladies. The midwives were given their names, Shifra and Pua. The Egyptian midwives who were ordered to execute the male children as they came out of the womb. And because they feared God, the Scriptures say, they refused. They refused to take part in something so atrocious. They refused to take part in what Pharaoh, their king, had ordered. And the Scriptures tell us that because of the fear that they had of God in their lives, and because that fear of God translated itself into righteous action, God blessed them. God watched over them. The mother of Moses, we're not given her name here, but we'll find her name elsewhere in the Scriptures. Her drastic and courageous measure to refuse to, to throw her child who's been ordered into the river but instead she keeps him as long as she can and she cares for him and nurses him. And when she can no longer keep him, he's three months old, he's getting kind of loud, kind of noisy. Perhaps he's not sleeping through the nights. And she builds this ark and she prepares it for water. And she sends her daughter, Moses' sister, to keep watch over him to make sure that he would be safe. We see civil disobedience on display 
in the virtue also of the daughter of Pharaoh. And she sends her maid over to grab the ark and see what's in it. And as she looks upon little Moses and cares for him, finds a way to have him nursed. Interesting how God works things out. Moses' sister's there, and so she's able to say, you want me to go get one of the Hebrew women? She goes and gets his mom. So mom is able to spend those crucial years with little Moses. Again, the entirety of salvation history stands on the shoulders of these courageous and virtuous women. Immediately, in the text, we read that salvation history for for the sake of the Israelites is standing on their shoulders. It is then Moses who flees out into a desert to tend sheep and comes upon a burning bush and is sent by God back to Egypt to lead His people in Exodus away from bondage. It is upon these women that the preservation of the Hebrew people rests. And ultimately, it is upon the shoulders of these women that the preservation of the Messianic line rests. I, um, you know, there are odd little things that we find in the scripture that, that if we will allow them, will, um, stun us, will give us joy. I find joy in the fact that we find these two midwives' names. Of all the people named in Scripture, of all the stories, of all of the, the, the details of Scripture, we find these two small little details. The names of the midwives who so bravely and so courageously stood up for what was right and stood up for righteousness. And I think it's a nod to them that their names live on. A nod to their faith. A nod to their courage. A nod to their virtue. Because they did a hard thing. Virtue does not come easy. We speak of courage as a virtue and courage is not something that's easy because courage actually means something that's difficult. We often think of courage as being the absence of fear, but that's not what courage is at all. If you're not fearful of doing something, you're not being courageous in doing it. Courage assumes fear. It assumes that there's some danger. Whether it's the danger of being looked down upon by one's peers, the danger of losing one's life, here in the case of these midwives. But they display for us virtue and courage because they are willing to do the right thing even in fear, even in danger. And God rewards them, the Scriptures tell us. God looks at their hearts. God looks at the lives of their behavior. And God smiles upon them 
I've been thinking every every um, every time you come upon a holiday, it's always good to do a little bit of reflecting upon it. You know, it's it's um, it's kind of it's kind of uh, interesting to approach Mother's Day at, not as a mom but as a dad, because I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I know what it's like to be a dad. I don't know what it's like to be a mom. And uh, but I can I can proudly tell you this morning that I do know some things about motherhood. I do know some things about what it means to be a mom. The first thing that it means to be a mom is that it means to bear. Quite simply, if there's a mom, there's a child. It's kind of a an obvious no-brainer. But it's something that we often miss, and we often miss the implications of that. To be a mom is to have a child. To have a child is to bear. To be a mom means to have born another person within yourself. Whether in the case of biological moms bearing in their womb, another person, or even in the case of an adoptive mom, which we read of here in Pharaoh's daughter, to bear another person within one's soul and one's heart. To to be a mom is to bear. In, In reading the stories of these women, all of them, even... Even Moses' sister. They all bore another person within themselves. The only one that literally does that in this story is Moses' mom. But the midwives, Pharaoh's daughter, and even his sister, Moses' sister, they all bear in their souls other people. Another person. And that tells us a little bit about personhood. To be a person is to find life from someone else. Every last one of you, unless you've had some really odd surgery, has a belly button. When, um, sorry, Lindsay. When Lindsay's pregnant, I always tell the kids that her belly button is uh, is the microphone button for the baby in there. Because you know the babies can hear what's going on, and so the kids will run up and they'll push the little microphone button and they'll say, "Hey, baby, Danny." David, his name's not Danny. Again, I'm going to tell you that every time I say his name, I'm going to make sure you uh, you're reminded his his name is not Danny. I don't know most of our children. But to, to uh, mothers teach us of what it means to be a person. It's to it's it's to have been born by someone. Even spiritually speaking, every last one of us who have come to faith in Christ, we have been born in the soul and in the heart of another person. Someone else has prayed for you. 
someone else has carried your name to the throne of God and has said, Lord, have mercy on this one. Not a single one of us have come to Jesus all alone, all by ourselves, without the influence of anybody else. It's impossible. It doesn't happen. It, it flies in the face of personhood. That's just how life is. That's how God made us. To be a mom is to bear. Dads can't bear like moms can. It's a little bit different. We, we can, in some sense, you know, bear our children and our souls. But um, there's a special connection that moms have with their children. To be a mom also means to sacrifice. I am amazed, absolutely amazed by the sacrifice that moms make for their children. Dads think of it. They sacrifice their bodies for our children. They sacrifice their time. Lindsay's schedule is the kid's schedule. <laughs> and all you moms know what that's like. Your schedule is your kid's schedule. Making sure they're at ball practice, making sure they're at the ball games, making sure they're at recitals, making sure they're making it to, to, to this party and that party. To be a mom is to sacrifice. Sacrifice also energy. I, I know the, exhaust, uh, the exhaustion of being a dad. I don't know the exhaustion of being a mom. And that's on a whole other level. And they sacrifice their hearts. It is inevitable. I say inevitable. Maybe I, theologically I don't want to say it's inevitable. Maybe I want to say it is um, existentially certain. <laughs> that a mom's heart will be broken. At some point in life. When the son or daughter disappoints. When the son or daughter breaks confidence. When the son or daughter just simply is unappreciative. But moms bear and they sacrifice. It's what they do. It's how they live. It's part of their makeup. And that tells us a little bit about the nature of love. If your understanding of love is that I'll love you if you'll love me, and the moment you stop, I stop, you don't love biblically. You're in a contract, not a covenant. Love is about sacrificing. It's about bearing one's neck for the beloved. 
It's about dying to self. Anyone who's ever loved has died. Because there are sacrifices that are made in loving another person, especially so for moms. They have to sometimes squash ambitions. We've talked about the sacrifice of time and energy in their hearts. And to love another person is to willingly and joyously deny oneself for the sake of that other person. That means to sacrifice. Love is not always pretty business. It's not always pink hearts and red roses and all those delightful things we find on cards. If a Hallmark card really wanted to get at the heart of love, it'd be a pretty gory card. Because love is about sacrifice. Love is about dying to self. It is about living for the sake of that other person. And we find that probably most poignantly in the lives of moms. To be a mom means also to give. Think of it. Moms, you gave life to your children. And, and not just in bearing them in the womb and giving birth to them, but in sustaining their lives. To be a mom is to give. Biologically, to give genetics. To give that deoxyribonucleic acid. The DNA. I had to make sure I had it right this week. <laughs> Deoxyribonucleic acid. Don't ask me to spell it. <laughs> to give a name. You know, it's it's interesting to think of um, one one of the one of the uh, popular. Things going on in our culture is nobody wants to influence anybody. No, you know, it's kind of a new trend in parenting. We don't want to make decisions for our kids because we don't want to, you know, we want them to be them and we want them to be independent. And every mom and dad, every good mom and dad wants their children to be independent, to grow up, to, to, uh, uh, to be able to make decisions and be confident in them and all that. But it is impossible absolutely impossible for someone to live and grow and become themselves apart from the influence of others. Part of who you are is the influence of other people upon you. Whether they knew it or not, whether you like it or not, your mommy and daddy chose your hair color and eye color. They chose your name, the title with which you will be known every day of your life. Unless, of course, you go and have it stand for a judge and fill out some paperwork and have it legally changed. 
Moms give their children also character. A good mom will instill virtue into her children. In a good mom, children will see courage at work. They'll see faithfulness at work. They'll see sacrifice. They will see hard work. They will see effort. They will see self-giving. They will see the character and the virtue that God longs for in His children. Good moms also give their children confidence. They teach them how to trust. How to trust other people. How to trust their gut. To be a mom is to bear, to sacrifice, and to give. And is in this giving that moms do that we find what it means to have grace. We learn of what grace is. We learn of this gift. Grace is life that is given. It is goodness that is given. It is mercy that is given. Regardless of what that grace is, we speak of saying grace before a meal. And when we say that, grace and thanksgiving are connected by the same Greek root. We're talking about giving thanks. We are saying grace. Regardless of what it is that we're speaking of with regard to grace, the commonality is that it is always a gift. It is always something that is given. And moms give their children countless things. We see this bearing we see this sacrifice and we see this giving in the stories of these women from Exodus chapters 1 and 2. We see folks given, given the opportunity and given the strength by God who are willing to give life and give protection and give a future to Moses and the other Hebrew boys who were being born. We find women who are willing to sacrifice reputation, sacrifice future, sacrifice the joys of what they already have for the sake of these being born. And we find these women bearing children, Bearing others in themselves. And so we find in this text. 
a story of divine deliverance. A story of how God works. A story of how God delivers. A story of how God rescues and a story of how God has made us and then how He redeems us. On the back of your communication cards, you have just blanks. It's always kind of difficult to run to narrow down some responses for a holiday like Mother's Day. But my, um, my desire and my prayer would be that as you consider what it is to be a mother if you are a mother, what it is to be a mother if one day you long to become a mother. What it is to be a mother if you have a mother or had a mother. My prayer and my hope would be that you will prayerfully consider what your response to God would be. What your response to God would be in light of motherhood in light of this call that we all have given to us in moms this call to bear this call to sacrifice and this call to give I want to encourage you to consider writing down a response and I want you to drop off your communication cards in the offering plate at the back of the sanctuary You find also on the back of your bulletin a place for response there. I want you to hang on to your bulletin. Hang on to it. It will remind you of announcements that were made earlier in the service. Remind you of the songs we've sung, the scriptures we've read. Remind you of that commitment that you've made to God if you've written it down in there. As we consider how God would have us respond, let's read the word of prayer together.